Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. The scripture today is Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is our God, your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for the word you have for us today. We thank you for your word in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to hear from Brian and Mandy and and hear your word carried to a land that does not typically have your word as strong in it, Lord. We're just so grateful to be part of that mission and to have you be part of our lives and everything we do here in Ankeny and, and elsewhere, God. Just have your word touch our hearts today. Have our ears open to listen. We love you, Father God. Amen. Good morning. Several years ago, Ann Murray sang a song titled, A Little Good News. And every verse of that song ended with the same line, We sure could use a little good news today. And that line has always stayed with me, and there are days that I will turn that line into a prayer, and I'll say, Lord, I sure could use a little good news today. We all could use a little good news every day. We all could use some assurance, some words of comfort every day. Uh, In the pain of life, in the disappointments of life, sometimes in the bleakness of our circumstances, in the roughness of our relationships at times, uh, we just we long for a voice of compassion, uh, a voice of hope, a voice with good news. And that is what God gives here. That is what God gives us here in Isaiah chapter 40. The chapter begins with words of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God wants comforting words, comforting things said to his people. Uh, 
He wants comforting thoughts to be planted into the hearts of his people. He wants you to have comforting thoughts. He wants you to feel comforted. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, God the Father is called the God of all comfort. We know that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was appointed to comfort all who mourn. So we see from Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all ministers of comfort to us. And comfort from, comfort from God is a powerful thing. It is able to overcome all the bad things in our lives. Comfort from God gives us strength and hope and encouragement in hard times. It is comfort from God that makes us able to go on living after very bad and painful things have happened to us. In verse 1, God commanded Isaiah to comfort his people. But indirectly, he is commanding all who speak for God to speak comforting words to his people. Paul said to all believers, comfort one another with these words. It is, it is a mistake to think that if you are speaking for God, you must always rebuke or warn or instruct or even teach something. Certainly there is a place for that, but sometimes the much-needed message for other people is comfort, tenderness, and encouragement. And sometimes the much-needed message for your heart is comfort, tenderness, and encouragement. Well, who is this message of comfort for? Well, we've made that clear already. It is, it is for God's people. God said, comfort my people. If you belong to God, words of comfort are for you. This is for you. But in the context of Isaiah chapter 40, it is specifically for his people Israel who have sinned terribly and have been suffering terribly for it. They had turned their backs on God. Their lives are presently a mess. And listen to what Isaiah said about them earlier in the book of Isaiah. They parade their sin like Sodom. The land is full of idols. Their words and deeds are against the Lord. They have harps and tambourines and flutes at their banquets, but they have no regard for the Lord. They are heroes at drinking wine. They have rejected the law of the Lord. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. And they do. Shortly after King Solomon, if you, I'm not going to give you a lot of history here, but you, most of you know about King David and King Solomon. Uh, when they, shortly after they ruled in Israel, the nation was split into ten northern tribes and to ten or two southern tribes. The ten northern tri tribes were generally still called Israel. The two southern tribes were called Judah. The kingdom of Israel turned away from God first, and they worshipped other gods. And you'll, you'll see this story through the Old Testament and through the prophets. And so they were taken into captivity, into slavery. They were plucked up from their land and carried away into, into uh, captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. 
The other two tribes, the kingdom of Judah, remain faithful to God much longer, but now they too have fallen into much evil and to idolatry. And they were living under constant threat from destruction from the Assyrians. But the kingdom of Babylon and the next world power was gaining strength and might and soon would replace Assyria as the dominant threat. And at the time that this was written, Judah has yet to be taken into captivity. This is looking prophetically ahead into the time where Judah will be taken into captivity in Babylon. They are not there yet, but they soon will be. And Isaiah is looking ahead prophetically, speaking to them, as it were, in their captivity and under the chastening judgment of the Lord. And one of the very clear messages of the Old Testament is that sin leads to judgment. Sin isn't fun, at least not for very long. It brings misery and it brings immeasurable pain into people's lives. And Israel's sins have sent her into exile or caused the Lord to send her into exile. Jeremiah, speaking to the people of Judah, said, Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declared the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Jeremiah two nineteen. In Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, in other words, all the chapters prior to the one where we're starting this morning, the message had been primarily about this judgment. Jerusalem will be sacked. The temple will be destroyed. The people will be carried away into captivity. God will use pagan nations, specifically Assyria and Babylon, to chasten Israel for her sins and idolatry. And so we see this process very clearly. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you see it repeated over and over. The people forsake the Lord. They turn their backs on God. They become stubborn. They become rebellious. They turn to 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 the gods of the people around them. And then judgment comes upon them as a purifying force that leads them, or at least some of them, to repentance and turning back to God. So in Isaiah chapter 40, God is speaking to them, as it were, in their captivity, under this discipline, under this severe chastisement. And God is speaking to them in their sorrow and their heaviness of heart. They have been, they have been chastened. They have become broken. They are overwhelmed with a sense of their own sinfulness and failure. And they know firsthand, they've experienced firsthand what a price They have paid for their sin. And they are thinking, they were thinking, how can we survive? Is there any hope left at all for us? With the destruction of the the city and the temple, is this the end of the line for God's people? What would become of all the promises of God? What about our future? And after we have sinned such, will God take us back? We too may wonder some of those same things at time. We may wonder if God can change our hard circumstances. Can God overcome our failures? 
or get us out of the mess that we have gotten ourselves into, perhaps through our own disobedience or sin. And God answers these questions by speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And the message is very, very comforting. The message is, in spite of your past sins, in spite of your afflictions, in spite of this time of discipline, God says, my ultimate purpose for you is life, fullness of life, and salvation, and glory, and unbelievable joy. Or as, the led, or, or as the Lord spoke through Jeremiah in a verse that a lot of you have heard, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Those were spoken to the people in captivity. So really, the message is God's comfort in our failure. God's comfort in our sin and in the misery that our sins have brought upon our lives. And not one of us has escaped the impact of sin. Not one of us has escaped the impact of living in a fallen world and being fallen human beings. All of our lives have been marred. We have all suffered in some way. If I went around the room this morning and you were honest, every person in here could could tell something that they have done or said or thought that they are ashamed of, that they are ashamed of before other people and, and before God, and that has caused pain in their lives to themselves or others. But God has good news for us, that He takes care of the badness of our sin. He has great news in store for us. So we certainly... When we speak of comfort, I mean, we certainly all need comfort daily. We need comfort for our disappointments, disappointments with ourselves or with others. Uh, we need comfort when we've been rejected by friends or abandoned by a family member or when we're suffering physically from sickness or injury uh, or grieving over something, some loss. But most of all, we need comfort for the burden of our sin, for the guilt of sin, for the painful consequences of sin, and just for the affliction and the hardness of living in this fallen, sinful world. The message of Isaiah is, be comforted. Be comforted because God has pardon for your sins. And He has good news that will take care of all of the years of hardship in this world. So beginning with Isaiah chapter 40, God brings this message of comfort and salvation. And that's the dominant theme, theme that we'll see throughout the entire rest of the book. God reveals His greatness to His people. That the nations are but a drop in the bucket. He reveals His servant, uh, the servant of the Lord as He is called, the Messiah who we know to be Jesus who will remove our sin, heal our disease, carry away our sorrows. God reveals that through His Messiah, He will establish a golden age, if you will, a time of peace and prosperity that the world has never known. He will make His people holy through the Messiah, and He will use them to rule over the nations rather than allow the nations to pillage and terrorize His people as they have been doing. So, speaking to his people clear back in 700 BC, God 
lays out for them the plan of the ages. And we're going to see from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 66, we're going to see that God lays out this plan of goodness, of comfort, of hope for his people from now to the very end. The book of Isaiah ends in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. And all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. So the book of Isaiah takes us clear to the end of time. With the new heavens and the new earth. And it actually ends with this final gruesome scene of those who rebel against the Lord, suffering in hell where their fire is not quenched. But the overall message is this. God is coming to straighten out the world. And, you know, we, want, we may want comfort. We say, Lord, comfort me. I need a little comfort today. I mean, we're looking for something right in this moment. And God certainly does that. And it's in a million ways, he shows us his kindnesses every day. But the big answer is that God, God says, you know, we say we want comfort. We want, we're thinking of something little. And God says, my answer, my comfort for you is that I will rule the world. I will take care of everything that is evil and wrong and bad and troublesome and sorrowful with the world. I'm fixing it all. And that is my message of hope. God is coming to straighten out the world. And the main effect that God wants us to have on our hearts is comfort. Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God speaks to his people Israel. And he speaks to you and me as his people with a language of love and comfort. Isaiah 66, 13, As a mother comforts her children, so I will comfort you. God speaks to us like that. He loves us like that. Like a mother loves her children and comforts her children. God does that to us. So what is he... What is Isaiah to tell them that is comforting? God commands Isaiah to comfort his people. What is he to tell them that will comfort them? First, comfort them by telling them that your sins are pardoned and your punishment is over. The pain is past. Verse 2, tell her her hard service has been completed. Sin does have effects. Sin has consequences. These people were well aware of their sins and the price they had paid. But God is saying, that's over. Tell her her sins have been paid for. She has received double from the Lord for all her sins. The point is that God regarded her punishment and her sufferings as more than enough. And that's done. That's over. God is going to move on from that. Isaiah was saying, in one sense, your sin has been completely paid for by bearing this judgment for your disobedience. But ultimately, are our iniquity and the iniquity of the people of Israel is pardoned because our sin has been paid for by another. Christ has borne the judgment for our disobedience. And 
And Isaiah will say this. He will reveal this in a few chapters later in chapter 53 when he reveals the suffering servant of the Lord, again, whom we know to be Jesus, who is pierced through for our transgressions. The punishment for our well-being fell upon him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin has been paid for. That's the comforting words that Isaiah has for these people. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, How blessed or how happy is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. How comforted, we could say, is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. How comforted are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How comforting to hear that the punishment we deserve is no longer hanging over us like this massive dark cloud. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So comfort comes to us because our sins are pardoned. Second, be comforted because your God is coming to deliver you. And this happens, or this, this prophecy really affected the people of Israel on many levels. First of all, it's just a promise that God is coming, that He is on the way. He is coming to rule the world and to personally take care of His people. To these people who are hearing these words from Isaiah, God's coming meant the, the final defeat of their enemies, of Assyria and of Babylon, and the, and the coming of the coming home and their ability to come back home to Jerusalem, to their home city, to the temple. But God was saying to them, or God wanted Isaiah to, to say to them, I am coming to you. And really, in all reality, the bottom line is God showing up is the answer to everything. No matter what needs we have or what problems we have, God showing up is the answer to everything. And he says, I will show up. I am coming to you. Believe it. Expect it. Get ready for it. Prepare the way for the Lord, for he is coming. Whatever problems are troubling you this morning, God is coming to deliver you. God is at hand. I can't say how or in what way or even the timing, but stand and you will see the salvation of your God. And you must believe, and we are to believe, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But there's much more here. God promises a world-transforming display of His glory. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all mankind will see it together. This prophecy was partially fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. John the Baptist spoke these same words just before Jesus' public ministry. Jesus was God coming to us. John said in his gospel, The Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. Jesus coming the first time was, in some sense, the glory of the Lord being revealed on this earth. But there's another aspect. This will ulti ultimately be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. His, his glory will fill the earth. His glory will flash like lightning from one end of the sky to the other, and truly every eye will see him. 
And so we are to be living with this expectancy, not only that God will come to us presently in our struggles and trials and afflictions and show up on the scene and meet our needs presently, but that He has come in Jesus Christ when Jesus came. God showed up and came in the person of His Son, Jesus, and that He will come again. And we are to live in that hope, that expectancy of the Lord's coming. And every man and woman who's ever lived will see him. And again, I say, he is coming to straighten out the world. He will, li- he will literally, physically rule and put an end to the wickedness, the wildness, the dangers of this world. And he will usher in an eternal kingdom where we will live in peace and in glory with him forever. Just be comforted. God is coming to straighten out everything. He's coming to straighten out your mess. He's coming to straighten out the world's mess. He is coming. The third thing that God gives Isaiah to say to comfort his people is this. Be comforted that God's word is invincible and that people are not. In verses 6 through 8, the infallibility, the invincibility of God's word is contrasted with the frailty of men. To these people, to the people of Judah, to the people of Israel, at this time, the the empires of Babylon, uh, of Assyria and then Babylon, seemed so totally powerful. But God says, all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers and flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows them over. Men do not and will not stand, but the word of our God, the words spoken by our God, will stand forever. And that is our message of comfort. The power and splendor of Babylon was awesome. You read about it, the thickness of its walls. They were, they were massive. And the hanging gardens, one of the wonders of the ancient world. No one could possibly imagine that Babylon would be destroyed. But God says they are nothing. They are nothing but withering grass and fading flowers. It is so easy for us to be intimidated by people. It is so easy for us to be overly impressed by people and their power or riches or influence or prestige. But Isaiah said in chapter 2, verse 22, Stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? And we'll see this theme all the way through the book of Isaiah and particularly in the rest of this, uh, this chapter that we'll, that we'll get to next week. Just the greatness of God and the smallness of man in comparison. And that's to be for our encouragement. We need to fear no man ever because people are but grass. It is God and his word that will stand invincible forever. There might be a person in your life that seems to have dominance or power or control over you. It's good to remind yourself that the word is invincible, people are not. So God has spoken 
A Messiah is coming. He will rule over the earth with his people. All flesh has, will see him. God has spoken this and it will be fulfilled. The word of our God stands forever. No matter what, no matter how bleak things look, no matter how much time passes, no, no matter how much personal or national tragedy you or I or we experience, the word of our God stands firm. He is coming. He will rule. He will straighten out everything. And just to emphasize how certain his word said, his, his word is, God said, go up on a high mountain, you who bring good, good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. I mean, God is saying, what I have said and the message that I've given you to proclaim is so reliable, it is so absolute, it is so invincible that you can get yourself up out on a mountain and shout it out without fear. You won't be embarrassed because it will happen. You can proclaim it publicly with confidence. You can stake your life on this. You can stake your reputation on this. You can stake your hopes on this. And you can make the announcement to others. You know, I thought of how some of you uh, young couples, when you think that you might be going to have a baby, you're just a little hesitant to make the announcement until, you know, a few weeks or maybe a couple of months go by until you just know for sure you feel, okay, we're ready. We can make the announcement because you feel more confident. And that's, in a sense, like what, what God is saying. There's, there's no worry about making this announcement. This is so sure. What, what I have promised will happen is so certain that you can shout it out and tell the good news. The Lord is coming to rule. You can say to the people, behold your God, because you will see him. And to God's people, this is the most comforting comfort of all. And the fourth thing that Isaiah tells these people to bring them comfort is he tells them about what God is like. He just tells them about what God is like. Discovering who God really is brings tremendous comfort to your heart and your soul. Verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. This is the first thing that, that is told them. We are to be comforted by his power and his might. God is no weakling. He comes as a ruler and a king over his enemies. Exodus 15.3 says, The Lord is a warrior. I don't know why I love that, but I absolutely love that. I've been ministered to that verse so many times. I read that. The Lord is a warrior. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Isaiah is telling them, God is strong enough and he is warrior enough to fight for you. God can handle your enemies. God can handle the injustices in your life. God is king and ruler and warrior. We are to be comforted because God is a rewarder. Verse 10 goes on to say, See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He comes with judgment for those who neglect him, but he comes with glory and honor and a crown 
for his people and for those who love him. He will make things right. The people who should be honored will be honored. The people who should be humbled will be humbled. Hebrews chapter 11 says, He who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. There is great comfort in believing that God is a rewarder. He will straighten everything out. You don't have to fight your own battles. You don't have to defeat your enemies. You don't have to take vengeance on people. You don't have to seek to get even. God is a rewarder of his people. Hebrews 6.10, God is not so unjust as to forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people. God will never forget anything that you've done. God will not forget the things that you've done that nobody else sees. He is not so unjust to forget your work. God will remember you for good. And when he comes, he will come with reward. And I believe with massive reward. I believe that we will be surprised at how heavily laden we will be with reward uh, for those who have served the King of Kings. So be comforted by that, that God comes with reward. He is a rewarder. Third, the third thing about God that we are to be comforted by is to be comforted by his gentleness and his love. I think at all times, we all wonder, how will this majestic, awesome, holy God deal with me? Here's the answer. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms and will carry them in his bosom or close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. When you hear that, when you read that, I don't know if you react the way I do or not, but I kind of breathe a sigh of relief to know that that's what God is like. When you hear that, that God is like a shepherd who will tend his flock, who will gather them in his arms and carry them close to his heart, when you hear that, when you read that, when you know that, then you have discovered God. That is what God is like. God is like a shepherd. When you're weak, he will carry you. When you are helpless, he will lead you. He is certainly powerful and strong to protect you, but he is also gentle to love you and to care for you. And we need someone to deal kindly with us, don't we? And he does. And so we are to be comforted by what God is like and by his tenderness. I'm going to close this morning by sharing three very brief applications. Number one, there is no depth of sin into which you have fallen ever that is too deep for God's comfort and grace to reach you. The things that the, the children of Israel had done were terrible, really terrible. And yet God comes to them with assurance of comfort and of pardon and forgiveness of sins. If you turn to him this morning, no matter your background, no matter what sins you have been a part of or have been a part of your life, your, if you turn to Jesus, your hard service to sin is over. 
Your sin has been paid for. Christ has received from the Lord's hand the punishment for all your sins. And if you wish, if, if you wish this morning to leave your sin and the misery of sin behind, God is ready to pardon you and to comfort you. Number two, or the second application, comfort, true comfort is found only in God. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest or comfort for your souls. And if you are heavily burdened in any way this morning, by your sin, just by life, by the heaviness of life, by disappointments, go to God for your comfort. And the way that you can find comfort is by wanting to be comforted by the Lord. And the way to be comforted by the Lord is really to stop seeking your comfort somewhere else and to go to Him for it and to trust Him to be your comforter. Remember, God is the God of all comfort. Certainly, we are blessed and comforted by others in the family of God. I'm not saying that. But really, other people can only be a vessel or a channel through which God's comfort comes to us. And when we seek to comfort others, all we're seeking to do is pass on God's comfort through our human vessel to them. But comfort is found in God. And God has things to say to the deepest fears, hopes of your heart, to your despair, to your loneliness, to your pain, to your mundane routine and glorious life. He has sweet words of comfort for you. Will you take time to hear him? Will you take time to turn to him to be your comforter? And third and last, place absolute confidence in the word of God as your comfort. I do not know how you will live a comforted life unless you place rock-solid confidence in the scripture. Venture wholly on God and his word. Risk your life and all that you are, all that you have, and all you ever hope for on God's word and what he has said. Second Chronicles 20.20 20 says, Trust in the message of his prophets and you will win. I can't go into the context of that story, but I love that verse. Put your trust in the message of what God has spoken through his prophets and you will succeed. You will win. So I would encourage you to read this book of Isaiah. As we, as we study through it, man, dig into this. What a, what a great opportunity to get into one of the most fantastic books in all of Scripture. It has some, some of those magnificent promises of comfort and hope and assurance. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. Comfort comes from words from God's mouth. And I would dare say that you will live a comforted life to the degree that you place your comfort in God's word to comfort you in his word which stands forever. If you believe his word, you will find comfort. And you know, I think of so many people that, you know, to me, in a sense, people either fall in the category of being sort of tormented souls or comforted souls. And, you know, that's really the choice before us. We can kind of live under a, sense of, under a sense and feeling of torment, tormented souls 
in minds and hearts, or we can live under this comfort of God that he has for us. And certainly that is my prayer, that is how we would live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of comfort and assurance. We thank you so much for revealing what kind of a God you are and the plans that you have for us. Lord, we thank you that you've got everything taken care of, our little problems day to day, but also the massive problems of sin and the evil and wickedness in this whole world. They're going to straighten everything out. You rule, you reign, and we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.